and welcome to another episode of Talking Spirituality, a Glastonbury Abbey podcast. I'm your host, Nick Phillips, and today's theme is Avalon, which is the well-known alter ego of the town of Glastonbury, going right back to medieval legend when it was first mentioned in connection with the myths of King Arthur. But it's more than just a legend for people today. To some, it's an ever-present magical realm that interpenetrates reality here in the town and is part of the magic that draws people to visit and settle here, their spiritual home. Many people wholly substitute saying they live in Glastonbury for saying they live in Avalon, making it a real-world destination in the here and now, not just a concept or a myth. Uh, The name Avalon is everywhere here today in businesses and road names. It's become so synonymous that people often don't stop to think what it's about. Uh, Author Patrick Benham puts it, actually I'll start that bit again. As author Patrick Benham puts it, it has long had a sort of vague acceptance among the local people as something to do with legend, King Arthur and the Grail and all that sort of thing. He also calls Avalon a feeling and a magical point of fusion between the known and the unknown. So what I want to explore today is, is Avalon more of a state of mind, a spiritual truth for those who seek beyond the mundane or perhaps a counterculture identity? Here with me today is author and publisher Sarita Deste, who lives here in Glastonbury and owns a publishing company called Avalonia Books. Which is part of the reason I've asked you on here today. <laughs> Hello, Nick. Hi, Thank Sarita. you for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, first of all, do you say you live in Glastonbury or do you say you live in Avalon? That's a very good question, Nick. <laughs> Does it depend who you're talking to? I think, you know, well, no, I think I say usually I live in Glastonbury because I think Glastonbury in itself is an entity today. Yeah, it definitely this, has its own... It's got its own identity yeah. and it's known internationally. Whereas Avalon can become confusing depending on who you're talking to. And even if people have an understanding of Avalon, as you've already said, there's so many different understandings of what it means and even where it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I suppose some people will say that it's somewhere else entirely. A physical place somewhere else or a psychic spiritual place somewhere else. And even that is not straightforward. So I think it's a, it's a complicated topic. It's a really big topic <laughs> and an important one in many ways because people do use the term mm-hmm. very widely yes. and for so many things. Yes. Um, so I think before we get chatting about you and your relationship with Avalon, uh-huh. um, I need to give a bit more of a history of the name. That's always a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, some say it comes from the name Avalak. Um, which is a figure in Celtic legend. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the father of Modron and king of the underworld. So um, is that's another name for Gwynapneath or Arang. Um, in later Arthurian literature, Avalak becomes the father of Morgan le Fay, mm-hmm. um, who's of course one of the major figures associated with Avalon. Um, it's likely that both Avalak and Avalon derive from the Welsh Aval for apple. Mm-hmm. Um, which is one of the names of Avon is the Isle of Apples. Do you know of any anything else? Any other? I think those are the main things. It's the Isle of Apples one. It's the one that most, yeah, people, most people are familiar know. with, rather than yeah. you know the kind of well legend of Avalak. But I think 
you know, apples, of course, is a very important crop here. Yes, we know that. So yeah. we're in cider country, so <laughs> it's definitely a thing. You mm. know, for many months of the year here. Yeah, can't really go far in Glastonbury or in this part of Somerset without seeing apple trees. Tripping over apples. Yes. <laughs> Um, the Isle of Avalon is first mentioned in Geoffrey of Monmouth, mm. History of the Kings of Britain, circa 1136. And the first quote in that is, Then girded on his caliburn, which was an excellent sword made in the Isle of Avalon. So that's his sword, caliburn, mm. otherwise known as Excalibur. Yep. And the second mention is, And even the renowned King Arthur himself was mortally wounded, and being carried thence to the Isle of Avalon to be cured of his wounds. Mm. Um, so Geoffrey later on wrote, writes another book, the, the Vita Merlini, which is the life of Merlin, around mm -hmm. 1150, and he expands upon the theme and calls it the Island of Apples, which men call the Fortunate Isle. And he goes into detail about Morgan and her sisters who live in Avalon and their healing arts. So it's building up. This kind of this story picture, and, yeah. and myth around yeah. it, yes. So there's this perception that it's a place of healing and that's had a profound effect through the centuries, I'd say down to the modern era as mm. well, when people still are come here for healing for in healing. the water and yeah. all kinds of stories. Yeah. So many claims of miraculous healings, of course, as well, even today. Yes. Um, so Geoffrey linked King Arthur and Avalon but Caradoc of Lancarven was the first to explicitly link Arthur and Glastonbury mm. in his Life of Gildas. And the legend is of the abduction of Guinevere by a king called Melwas, who had a fortress on the Tor. But the idea that Glastonbury was the location of Avalon was cemented by the discovery at the end of the 12th century of bones believed to be Arthur and Guinevere's at Glastonbury Abbey. Yeah. And they, they came... And of course, you know, if you walk around Glastonbury Abbey, as I do on a regular basis, it's amazing how many tourists actually come to the Abbey just to see yeah, the marker yeah. of the grave. You know, it's, it's a major, it's a major draw even today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And people, yeah, leave, leave flowers and, you know, tributes at that spot. Um, the, the spot where they were dug up, they, they found um, a lead cross supposedly um, in Latin saying, here lies buried the renowned King Arthur with Guinevere, his second wife, in the Isle of Avalon. Mm. So that is really where it kind of compounded the myth. And this went on to influence writers of later centuries who asserted that Glastonbury was Avalon mm. and that was the place Arthur was taken for healing or to be laid to rest. Yes. Yeah. And of course it was, I mean, I live up on Windmill Hill and I've got views kind of really wide views, as you know, over the town and the levels. And you really do, when the mist comes in in spring and autumn, you the kind of landscape is covered and you really do get that feeling of still being on an island. Mm. But you also become acutely aware, especially when there's heavy rains, that the land below was flooded. And of course it was yeah. an oh, island well, it was, of sorts. It was, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but even though the topography has changed today and it's mm -hmm. not an actual island, um, some people will still refer to it as, as an island. island. Yeah. Um, do you think that's kind of, I don't know, like people envisioning it sort of set apart from the surrounding area and like the, mm. the more normal towns? 
Um, I think the Somerset levels in general and the moors are kind of a strange landscape. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very particular landscape. And certainly where I live, like I said, I feel sometimes like I'm on an island. You know, we've had mists in the last few weeks mm. that just literally covers all of the levels and it goes right out to the sea, just miles away. Um, but it does feel like an island. And I think Glastonbury, if you kind of go out, you know, in any direction, you know, in the kind of flatter areas, as it were, um, it stands out with a few other places, you know. Mm -hmm. It does stand out in the landscape. Physically, yeah. Physically, yeah. like, it's not, 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 you know, anything on a metaphysical level, but on a physical level, it stands out and you can see that there is something there that kind of draws you in and it's, it's difficult to explain <laughs> because, of course, you know, it's, it really is just a hill with an old church tower on it, you know, on yeah. a physical level, but it does draw you in. And there are a few of the other kind of hills around here where you can also see it, depending on how the mists are and how the, the flooding is, you can definitely see that they are like islands. So I think it is a kind of mystical expression saying mm. we live on the Isle of Avalon, but then mm. if you come in um, over Pompala's Bridge into town, it actually says welcome to the Isle of Avalon, yeah. you know, on the official yeah, it's fully kind welcome. Of integrated into the... Um, it's it's there in the mundane, and, and the businesses named after Avalon are not just the mystical businesses. It's, no, not at all. It's, you know, very mundane businesses. Yeah. Um, you know, things that you need in your everyday life. So, and I don't think there's always a mystical element to why they name it that. No. It's just, this is where we are, and so let's call our business after Avalon this, Avalon that. Um, so I do think there's a physical as well as a metaphysical kind of aspect to this idea of, of being on the Isle of Avalon. Mm. But I think people like that idea of um, we're on our little island and Separate. we're surrounded yeah. by... Well, we are kind of, I mean, a street obviously is just across the bridge. Yeah. Um, but there is something, I don't know, like this side of the River Brew and mm. just surround it. An I don't identity. know, we do feel a little bit like we're cut off from the world sometimes. <laughs> it does feel like it. it. It definitely feels like you're in a different world here sometimes. When, I don't know if it's just the glitter and the rainbows, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, when you first came here, when mm -hmm. you first moved here, did you find the idea of Avalon like intriguing or bewitching? Mm. Was there something kind of yeah? So, about so my that? first visit to Glastonbury um, was long before I came and lived here. Mm -hmm. It was in nineteen ninety nine, <laughs> on the eve of Samhain or Halloween, All Hallows Eve, and I came here with a friend um, from London, and we had this whirlwind kind of trip that day. We left early morning went to um, Tintin Abbey, mm -hmm. actually, on the other side, just in Wales, and then came here for the afternoon. And it, I'd kind of been in love with the idea of King Arthur and Guinevere and Merlin and Morgan Le Fay mm. since I was a little girl. Um, my Italian cousin sent me this copy, like a picture book of the Disney <laughs> Merlin and the, the sword in the stone when I was a very little girl. And I guess it was just always really interesting. Yeah. There was something a little bit different about that myth in comparison to the other childhood stories that I knew. And um, I came here on, on All Hallows. It wasn't planned like that, but it was, you know, very, very different experience because there was all the 
not like it is today, but there was definitely a lot of Halloween decorations and yeah. stuff here that I didn't see in London where <laughs> I lived. Because um, it's a quite recent phenomenon in the UK for it to be, you know, a yeah, commercial thing. Is, yeah. And, you know, we w- went to Chaliswell, we went up the tour, we came to Glastonbury Abbey. We did quite a lot in the few hours we were here. And I do have very happy memories of that. It was a really mystical pilgrimage in a yeah. way. Because I'd read about it so much and read up about Arthurian mythology but then, you know, I visited over the years a lot. And when I finally came to live here in 2011, I guess, you know, you have a very different experience because you suddenly see the landscape changing around <laughs> you. You meet the people and you realise that there's a different ebb and flow to the way Glastonbury as a town is on a mundane yeah. level. Yeah. And on a physical level, the kind of landscape um has, I think, a lot more to do with it being kind of the Isle of Avalon or the mystical Isle of Avalon or the the kind of magical, mystical, historical, mythology side of it. Because there's so much to Glastonbury and I guess um, everybody you ask will think something slightly different. <laughs> and I think living here kind of causes you to, I don't know, start seeing it from everybody's perspective. Yeah. And then you're kind of left in the middle going, gosh, you know, do I really know what this is about? <laughs> do I know anything? Um, because there's always so many stories here. And I think one of the big things I've learned since living here is that Glastonbury or Avalon or the many Avalons and the many Glastonburys, depending <laughs> on, you know, the perspective of the person you're speaking to, um, it's a place where the power of mythology, the power of storytelling um, is quite incredible yeah because there's always stories kind of born here you know whether it's Geoffrey of Monmouth or the monks at the abbey Mm. finding the grave you know and even today as you know nobody knows whether that's true or false or made up or reality and who is really buried there you know you've got all this kind of levels of intrigue but as part of the this the magic I think of Avalon the magic of Glastonbury is that these myths can be born here and they can change the destiny of a place because without, without those myths and without these stories, Gastonbury would not really be a place. Yeah, it would be nothing. Any other and that's time. right from the beginning, you know, yeah. fr- from even the existence of the Abbey. You've got well, yeah, the yeah. stories of Joseph Arimathea and, you know, the kind of backstory to why the Abbey got built here and why it was important. Yeah. So yeah. you've got all these levels of stories and I think, I don't know, for me, that makes Glastonbury and Avalon kind of one thing, maybe kind of, um, I don't know, like sometimes when you're looking into very shallow water, like on the edge of a lake, it's kind of like there's a world on the other side of the water, but it's the same place. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's in a different place. It's just slightly like there's a veil, you know. Yeah, that, that's, that's uh, like a common... Um, thing that people say that there's you know there's a, a thin veil here and people mm. can um, see or kind of touch that different reality yeah. um, and so not many places have that kind of dual identity and I'd, I was kind of thinking that Glastonbury wears Avalon a bit like a cloak a mystical cloak I think that's, that is certainly something people say and it catches people's attention mm. and sort of draws them yeah, yeah. draws them in here it, it definitely has something going on here like like I said this 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 power of storytelling Mm -hmm. that's here and I think with any kind of cloak or any veil there's always 
the um you know some things are real and some things are not some things are illusionary some things are mm. physical something are you know the real i guess the real mystical side of it and i think that is possibly one of the mysteries of <laughs> glastonbury versus avalon avalon versus glastonbury is is which one is more prominent and in whom holds the balance yeah. of that because there's certainly a lot of people, I guess, over the years that I've bumped into the field that they hold the key to the true, <laughs> you know, the true whatever, you know. And you think, well, I don't know, like whether you can or not. It's either you experience something or you don't experience it. But there's also so many kind of different angles to this that you've got to assume, I don't know, maybe everybody has got their own Avalon. Either, yeah, it's a very know? personal thing. But maybe it's not a personal thing. Maybe it is a personal thing, but there's also something more that it's a joint experience. Yeah. You know, when you go up the tour and you stand on the top on a windy day looking at the Somerset levels, mm. it's a real experience that you share with the people that go there. Yeah. And I think Avalon maybe has a certain, I don't know, allure it's, it's, or kind yeah. of experience, experiential thing that is something you need to kind of live <laughs> um, you called your company Avalonia, mm -hmm. um, presumably because it's a, a recognisable name. It has certain connotations. Mm -hmm. um, how did you decide? Come, upon, come yeah. to that. Okay, so that's a long story. I probably would have called it just Avalon, <laughs> um, but way back in the nineties, I had a little website, and then I tried to register. A domain name just avalon.co.uk which was taken right and then i was like mm, i need I, this is what i want avalon ava mm -hmm. ava something and so i put in avalonia just on a mm. whim and i didn't actually know that that was the, that was the, the latin that, that, that yeah. it was latin i didn't know that i was that's the, young and that's what was on the the cross in the mm, Arthur's so grave. i didn't yeah. actually know that <laughs> believe it or not <laughs> I didn't actually know that. So I just put it in and it was available. So I registered it. And it's only later that I realised that it was actually a, a real version of Avalon. So I was trying to find a... And, and to be honest, this is don't laugh too loud now. You know, I'm a big fan of the artist formerly known as Prince Prince, you know, Purple Rain Dude. Yes, yes. yes. He died a few years ago. And he had um, one of the, the artists that he worked with was called Apollonia. So the IA, I think, might have been uh, okay. kind of influenced by her name. <laughs> You're not laughing. I'm not, no, I'm not laughing. I, I just, it's, never, it's a really honest, I could, come up, I could come up with a very um, mystical explanation <laughs> for it. But I wanted to call it Avalon and Avalon wasn't available. So mm -hmm. I went for Avalonia. Because and I wasn't starting is... a business back then. It was a community website. Yeah. But, but it's um, it has certain connotations to it people. It does, yeah. It uh, definitely people, does. It, it sort of, even those who aren't really interested in that mm. kind of field, it'll twig something like, oh, that's something mystical. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And I've, I learned that over the years, <laughs> <laughs> subsequent to, to doing that. It's, it's, it's kind of funny how you, and at, at the time I had no desire to live in Glastonbury. I had no... Um, particularly um, 
I mean, I'd, I'd read a lot of books and things like that, and obviously I knew about this connection, but it didn't even occur to me at the time I registered to visit Glastonbury. But then I visited Glastonbury very, very soon after. Hmm. And even that, it was due to a man called Jack Grail, uh, yes, who wrote a book called The Square in the Circle. And he, um, hold on a second, is he called Jack Grail? Can I just double check that? Yeah. Jack, what is Jack's surname? Is, is there another Jack Grail? I'm now starting to think there's another Jack Grail. Oh no. Sorry, you're going to cut out this yeah. uh, me blabbling on. Let me just double check. Is he called Jack Grail? Because I know somebody else called Jack Grail. Um, it's, the book is called The Circle in the Square. He comes to Glastonbury on a regular basis. Actually, he's an old man now. He's called Jack Gale. Ah. <laughs> Jack Gale. <laughs> okay, so start that sentence just again. Say, yeah. So, um, I guess I'm, when I called Avalonia, Avalonia, I didn't really think of coming to Glastonbury. I knew about Glastonbury, obviously. Um, but shortly after I registered the domain name, I was at a meeting of Talking Sticks, which is a very long-standing esoteric moot in London. And I was speaking to the author, Jack Gale, who wrote The Circle and Square, amongst other things. And he was telling us all stories about Glastonbury and about the Georgian pilgrims and about the tour and things. And a friend and I just basically decided there and then that we were going to come to Glastonbury that weekend. And hmm. that's the story I told you earlier, that it was on Samhain Eve. Yeah. But it was a coincidence, complete coincidence. It just happened to be when we both had time to come. So I guess it's a time that the mist you know, or the veils are thin. And <laughs> they were definitely mist on the ground when we came in. <laughs> it was quite mystical seeing the tour just rising above yeah. it as we came down yeah. down the road into Glastonbury. Um, we've talked a bit about the medieval traditions around Avalon, but <laughs> I wanted to also talk a bit about the 20th century resurgence in interest Absolutely. in the spiritual here and the idea of Avalon. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned uh, author Patrick Benham at the start, and he wrote a very popular biography of the various key players in the early part of the century, and that's called the Avalonians, and which is what this group of people became known as. Yeah. Um, they're not so much of a, a group, but more of a, a loose collective of people living in or frequently visiting Glastonbury mm -hmm. um, who were interested in esoteric mysteries. Um, amongst them, there was Alice Buckton, who purchased the Chalice Well, mm -hmm. Dr. John Arthur Goodchild, who initiated the interest in a blue bowl that was buried at St. Bride's Well, and that was thought to be the Grail. Uh, Frederick Blybond, who used automatic writing sessions uh, as one of his methods at, in excavating the abbey, and occultist Dion Fortune. Mm. Now, Dion Fortune was a big influence on the modern-day perception of Avalon being an unseen realm, um, sort of behind or within the real world of Glastonbury. She said, the mystic Avalon lives here her hidden life Invisible, save to those who have the keys of the gates of vision. Mm. Now, she had a property at Chalice Orchard, which she said was a hostel for Avalonians, meaning it was a place for seekers into the esoteric mysteries um, drawn to Glastonbury by the resurgence in interest in the myths. 
and their use within contemporary spiritualism and occultism. Um, she wrote extensively on the subject, and um, there's a longer quote about the nature of Avalon. Two traditions meet in Avalon, the ancient faith of the Britons and the creed of Christ. The abbey holy ground, consecrated by the dust of the saints, but up here at the foot of the tour, the old gods have their part. So we have two Avalons, the holiest earth in England, down among the water meadows, and upon the heights, the fiery pagan forces that make the heart leap and burn. And some love the one and some love the other. And she appears to find um, sort of holiness equal, equally in the Christian and the pagan myths. I think and it definitely permeates her work, doesn't it? And a, and a lot of the, the, these Avalones at the time were um, Christians, perhaps from a more kind of esoteric mm-hmm. viewpoint, but they were definitely interested in both Yeah, definitely both sides, both, both yeah. sides, because she writes about all kinds of things. Um, she, she believed that Glastonbury was the English Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and she wrote about the coming of Joseph Arimathea, but she also um, has like these quite fantastical ideas of Druid sacrifice at mm-hmm. Chalice Well, yeah. and King Arthur, um, she, to her, King Arthur is the, the figure that bridges the gap between paganism and Christianity. Okay. Which, of course, the myth is in a way, because yeah. you've got that whole Morgan Fave of, you know, the lake, kind of old religion, new religion, and, and mm-hmm. even a lot of the Hollywood versions of the yeah. myth kind of reflects that today. Yeah. It's something yeah. that is very much a myth that, I don't it know, awakens something. It yeah. awakens something. And Geoffrey of Monmouth, you know, writing when he did, at that time, even though we like to say Britain was Christian, which it was, of course, there was still a lot of pagan activity here because you've got the Vikings coming in just a few decades before with their gods. You've got all those different influences surviving in little pockets and certainly folk traditions, maybe not Mm -hmm. full-blown pagan Roman temples, but a lot of these things would have still been little pockets of it, maybe mixed up with Christianity which is something that we see a lot of down this part of the world. Uh, she, she also calls Glastonbury a spiritual volcano. <laughs> it, so, it sounds more like something you'd hear today rather than 100 years ago. <laughs> mm. um, but I can see that because, you know, the longer I live here, the more you hear people's stories about why they're here and mm. what happened to them. And, and sometimes just tourists that you encounter because we've got some land up on the door. And you just meet people in the lanes sometimes, and they have these experiences of things bubbling up and I don't know bursting forth. Yeah. <laughs> Which sometimes it's it's difficult to know whether that's caused by hearing stories of mm. people having those experiences and therefore opening some you know people opening themselves up to that, or whether it's quite independent from each other. But it sometimes appears to be quite independent. And um, sometimes you bump into people that don't know very much about Glastonbury slash Avalon and the history and stuff. And they, I don't know, have strange encounters and mm. experiences. And it's very hard to judge other people's experiences. <laughs> I don't think that's a healthy thing to do. Mm. You know, you can observe and learn from it. But one's experience is one's experience and, you know, nobody else can really... Mm-hmm. Uh, especially for people who 
come and they're, they're not expecting to have an experience. Exactly. They might mm-hmm. be completely mm-hmm. secular person who's not coming here sort of searching for no. that and then they... They just like walking up hills and seeing views yeah. or taking, you know, photos of landscapes and, and those people sometimes are the most interesting when you bump into them and they like this thing just happened <laughs> and they just want to tell you about it. So I can see that volcano. I've not heard that expression about the volcano before, but I I agree that. I, I agree mm. with that. I've seen it happen. Yeah. Where people's lives have been turned, you know, quite literally <laughs> inside out or inside <laughs> out or outside in. I don't know which way around, but where things definitely change very dramatically in a very short period of time. Um, um, one of the other... other th- uses of Avalon um, around that time there's there's the company of Avalon yes. which is um, to do with um, shortly after Dion Fortune mm. came to Glastonbury she met with um, Bly Bond and she was um, receiving these from the um, communications from this group of monks um, and they, they were calling themselves the company of Avalon mm. so and they, from that she had this idea that this was a, a druid centre. They, mm. they were passing on this, they were sort of keepers of knowledge and they called themselves the Company of Avalon. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story that. Um, I I don't know, it's, it's again, it's somebody's experience and mm. I think it's hard because we're talking about things that happened 100 years ago. Yeah. And at the time, the knowledge that we have available today and the breadth of knowledge mm-hmm. that we have available, the information, the records, just wasn't quite available in the same way to Dion Fortune and her colleagues or Bly Bond um, in this case. So I think they had to interpret, we all interpret our experiences through the knowledge that we've got available. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's quite possible that there are I don't know, spiritual masters or beings that that somehow watches, watches us. <laughs> um, I've not personally had a direct experience of anything calling themselves the the company of Avalon. Mm. I'm obviously I'm familiar with the stories. Um, I kind of believe a little bit more like the quote you had earlier, I think from Dear Unfortunate, that it's like a veil that you can pass through mm. and see things for yourself. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, with someone sort of as famous as her in sort of esoteric circles, mm. people will latch on to that information and Make that it, it becomes It, it becomes absolute. true, yeah. yeah. But I think there's, there's other places in the world. I've, I'm very fond of travelling, as you probably know. <laughs> and I've been to many spiritual places. And, and the place that comes to mind to me at the moment is Delphi, which is the ancient seat of the Pythia Oracle of um, the god Apollo mm-hmm. in Greece. And um, it's a very well-documented site because it was like a Vatican city of its time. It was incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful, massive you know people went there from all over the world and um but when you go there there is definitely something different about you know i've been to a lot of places like that um and i quite enjoy going to as many of these ancient temples and i love going to churches and cathedrals and mosques and everything but sometimes there's one or two of these places that just have something that is it's a kind of quality that you can't 
quantify with words. Yeah. You can try to, but it's like an effervescence. Like something's bubbling yeah. there. And I think Glastonbury sometimes has that. Um, but I think Glastonbury is difficult because, like you say, you know, because Dune Fortune is very influential. But today we've also got other people mm. that are influential that affects the way that people experience yeah. it because you start seeing these places through the lens of somebody else. Yeah, I mean, it's and not just um, Dion Fortune, of course. There. So, mm-hmm. like, the um, 1960s and 70s, mm-hmm. we have, like, John Michelle, Jeffrey Ash. They both wrote extensively about Avalon, and their ideas inspired a new yeah. generation. Um, but, it, yeah, it just it continues. It continues on, and, and, you know, we get people kind of wandering around looking for ley lines <laughs> as much as you get people looking for the ancient druids or the goddess, yeah. you know, in yeah. the landscape. Um, I think that's the problem. It, it's kind of like the magic of Avalon, in one way, is all these myths that creates all these stories and then affects people's personal stories as they wander around trying to have these experiences that have been written about or looking for these mystical figures whether it's the company of Avalon or trying to walk yeah. around looking for it's Merlin or Morgana. It's an expectation, isn't it? It's an expectation, people. exactly. And if, if you've got that expectation, I think sometimes, I don't know, maybe you can see it where it isn't, but mm. maybe it also allows you to open a doorway to see it. You know, because myths can be kind of keys to understanding mm, yeah. a landscape, and as as long as you, I think, as long as you've got the key to actually have the experience for yourself, you know, I think there are places that undeniably has something different about it, which is why you know Glastonbury has been a place that have been attracting myth, well, for at least a thousand years, yep. but quite likely for much longer than that. You know, you wouldn't get these stories being written um, by Geoffrey of Monmouth um, back in the day if there wasn't something sparking that idea, you know, and certainly when I research, um, as you know, I, I love the kind of Hellenic, Roman, Anatolian worlds and stuff like that. Usually when you find a myth that doesn't make any sense, it seems like it's a bit out of place, but if you track it back, you can often find the source of it. Yeah. If you're lucky, yeah. you know, like, oh, okay, this is somebody looking at this story and reinterpreting it because of what they see, what their knowledge is. There's and so it many might be layers here that it's and Glastonbury, but it's <laughs> so many threads and so many. And layers. it's not, it's not like an onion with layers, no. which is very neat and like you know, a, you get a tapestry to the, with. It just, it's like a maze. Yeah. I think it's more, it's more <laughs> like a, a proper, proper, proper maze. <laughs> More than a labyrinth, it's, it's definitely a maze. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it, it, there is so much to it, but it definitely has something, because otherwise you've got to ask, you know, are the myths by themselves enough for people to come back again and again and again and again? And for ordinary people that come here just because it's a thing to do yeah. for the day and walk up a hill, yeah. to then fall in love with the place and come back again and again mm. and again, even if they were you know pretty Even straightforward yeah, people to begin with. There's still an identity that is unique. There's some there's something about it, and I think for me, what I admire about Glastonbury is the ability, even today, for new stories to pop up. Oh yeah, and then just yeah. spread like wildfire, yeah. and then suddenly you've got people doing things based on a story they heard somewhere. Yeah, that's maybe 
10 years or less. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Sometimes probably a few months of yeah. it. <laughs> but then, you know, people are reacting to it. And it's not always stories that are told by influential people. You know, it's sometimes just, it seems like it just has that ability to... Mm. To guide, so if the company of Avalon is real, <laughs> maybe they are like a group of trickster spirits. <laughs> you know, Loki, Hermes, Mercury, yeah. eat your heart out. You know, there's there's this group of um, they like to ancient spin spirits stories, that, yeah. that like to present themselves in different ways and <laughs> spin stories and have fun with <laughs> with visitors and and inhabitants alike. Yeah. But there's definitely a place where myths just come alive. I mean, I've lived in many places where there's a lot of mythology, um, up in the Brecon Beacons in London, and I lived in Africa. But it's like here, I don't know what it is. It's like the myths are just a little bit more manifest. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's definitely something that rises up and just seems mm. to seize people to quite extreme points sometimes, you know. <laughs> Um, a few of the other uses of uh, we've said some of the businesses and you know street mm-hmm. names and everything. Also, you'll find in the town there's a temple of Avalon. Yes. Uh, the nature reserves in the surrounding area are called the Avalon Marshes. I love the Avalon Marshes. And um, you've also got Avalon Archaeology. So that mm-hmm. is um, where they've um, done reconstructions of buildings from the Roman and the Saxon periods in the, in the ex- area. They're doing absolutely excellent work yeah. down there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with the Avalon marshes, it, perhaps that's something to do with um, the fact that they're restoring the ancient wetland mm. and, you know, the, there was, this, it was an island when there were lake villages mm-hmm. in the area. You've, of course, got the reconstructions yeah. of the sweet track and things yes. like that as yeah. well that yeah. people can visit. But yeah, that name... You know, it sort of evokes that kind of it does, period. And, and I think, you know, when you're down in the Avalon Marshes in particular, you know, obviously it's artificial to a certain extent yeah. because... It's to do with the peat works and peat where works, they've, they've re-flooded the... Um, the areas. Yeah. But you do get a little bit more of an insight on how it might have been. Yeah, you definitely. Know, it's the closest thing you, you can get to... stand there and imagine looking at the tour mm. over, the, over the lakes, sort of some of in, that landscape. And it, then, again, you can see that Glastonbury is higher ground. You know, when you're mm. down there, if you can... There's that one um, bird... Is it called a bird hide? Where yeah. you go and watch birds right at the end by the lake. And you sit in there, you've got that clear view of Glastonbury tall a- across the water and then across the landscape because it's all so flat down there. Yeah. You can really imagine what it might have looked Definitely, like, but yeah. you can also so clearly see that the whole town is just higher than the surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is very, it's definitely in the landscape that it's an island, yeah, not, yeah. not just in the imagination. Um, another interesting fact, there's an Avalon in Australia. Oh yes. Um, so this is due to the fact that the Austin family, who at one point owned Abbey House and the okay. Abbey Grounds, uh, lived in Australia for a while as farmers, and they okay. named their cattle farm Avalon. Oh, right, after, okay. After here. Oh. Um, and the name has stuck, and it's now a district name in Geelong, um, in Victoria, and there's the airport there is named Avalon airport. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's really interesting. I recently found out that um, I grew up in Cape Town in South Africa, and there was a lot of farmland near where I was raised, and there's now an entire neighbourhood called Avalon. 
not far from when I, where I was raised. I have to fact, find out where that's. I don't know why from. it was called. I just yeah. recently found that out. My brother was talking about Avalon, and I was like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on?" <laughs> well, do we have any um, emigrants? Going yeah, so it's, it's in. It's somewhere near. It's somewhere near Durbanville in mm. um, in the kind of Western Cape province. Interesting. Hmm. Um, so I wanted to uh, finish up today with some quotes from gathered from members of the Abbey about their thoughts on the topic of Avalon and what it is. Um, so first of all, uh, this is by Drew, he says, Avalon as a concept has definitely expanded well beyond what it was considered to be in literature. Mm. Some might argue that this means we're now looking at slash revering something that's much too nebulous. Personally, I don't think the problem is that people think creatively about Avalon, but more that there's no Avalonian canon that we're universally agreed to work off of. Mm, I think that's true. But I also think you can't really have a canon and fix something that is, you know, we talked about it kind of being otherworldly and... And it's too. It's it's too. He said it's too too nebulous. It's it's, it's too nebulous. It's it's it's. But it's not just that. I think a spiritual world has, I don't know, like its own identity. It's, it's a little bit like trying to rename and define something. Yeah. Um, when you are not that something, the something itself is is for me the only thing that can really name itself. Mm-hmm. So, but I do agree with that. And next we have uh, Danny who says, Avalon for me, it's not so much an actual physical place. I see it as a place in another dimension, though connected to our mm. physical world. I feel, I feel it's a place where our souls are healed and perhaps a place where we go after we leave this world to rest and rebalance, mm. like an orchard for the soul. Aww. In some places, the veil is thinner as it is in Glastonbury, which also implies to me that in Glastonbury, we're able to connect much better to the essence of our soul. Just, it's it's a very one. beautiful quote. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I th- you know, of course, there's King Arthur coming here upon yeah, death. But I believe there's so. other stories linking Glastonbury as well to, um, or the Isle of Avalon, to kind of death and bodies being brought here and the yeah. heroes being brought here. Yeah. Certainly something you bump into in De- a lot of stories. Stories about the tour and the wild mm. hunt and it being kind of a passage to the, the other to world. the other world yeah. of the moon yeah. and, and the kind of Welsh myth of the underworld and the other world. So, you know, I think that's mm. quite... I think that whole myth of Gwynabneath is, is also a very interesting one because, of course, linking him to the tour and, and the wild hunt and mm. the spirits and, yeah. you know. Yeah. Is it... I wonder if, if Gwynabneath is on the company of Avalon. <laughs> <laughs> um, it seems that, like, uh, a lot of our, our members do, you know, kind of research into this. Mm. Um, Emily says, after studying the name in history, it seems to signify a return to an origin of existence, which could mean the heart, the self, or some kind of healing or remembrance. This has been associated with the names and features of the land, what fruit it bears, the the regeneration and caretaking by and of women in particular, Mm. and a steep dive into the stark worlds of the imagination within each of these themes. Yeah, that's that's really good as well. I think, you know, again, nothing to fault Emily. But people people have obviously spent time thinking about... People do think, yeah. ...the place and what it means to be here. And I think it's... You know, like she says, it's, it's that, yeah, it's just beautiful quote. I think that's mm. 
very um, poignant. Uh, Stephen yeah. says it, it meant a lot to me. Uh, mm -hmm. When my wife was ill with cancer and a stoma operation, I used to walk down to the abbey and sit and watch with a great sense of peace. We both get peace when we visit now. My wife is better. Thanks, Abby, for both for saving us both. Wow. Oh, the Abby got you know it's a beautiful space. When my son, who is um, has got a disability, was little, we used to go there a lot and. It's, it's interesting how many people mm. just come there to just sit, especially people yeah, that definitely. can do so on a regular basis. And you bump into them, you know, they don't live here, but they come back. And yeah. it is a, it's a very beautiful space, I think, and it's very well maintained. And you've got all those little corners and things. And also the history there that, of course, links mm. to so much. Which uh, you can, you know dive into as much as you want or or leave completely yeah, you, can and you can just, just sit you can just experience the... this space because it's yeah. a beautiful kind of quiet space in sometimes chaotic town <laughs> <laughs> definitely um but you know this this healing aspect which i think emily also touched on right yeah um it is something that people come here for and, and people yeah. experience even that he the healing elements of glastonbury people experience it in different ways mm. some come here because they want to see various practitioners you know on a very yeah. practical basis um but a lot of people seem to come here with the belief that the waters or the landscape Which or something goes will... back to the the medieval the pilgrims that were coming here mm. with that expectation and expert yeah and you, and you of course have that all over the world you know there were these practices linked to water specific wells particular um spaces like that but um in glastonbury like very few other places i think that's still very much alive definitely yeah you know people are gathering the water from the rage of the white spring day in and day you know even at night yeah people are there kind of gathering the water and gathering around the water as well is definitely a, a very important aspect of it all and the, the final one i've got is from regular um, and she says for me it's the origin of my soul it gives me peace of mind a feeling of home oh, that, that that is beautiful as well and yeah. so many people have that they, they come here and they feel so like the emotional connection yeah and they feel like they've come home you know yeah. and um it's, it's always interesting to kind of watch that because you think well you know, I don't, I've never thought of it as the place of souls or the kind of place where, mm. I don't know, life comes it's, from because yeah. it's not that kind of energy for me. But I can see that because this yeah. coming home It's aspect. definitely, you hear that a lot from mm -hmm. people. It feels like I'm coming home, even though they've, nev they've never been Never before. been here yeah. before. They don't have preconceptions about it. And also people from very different paths in and different spiritual yeah. traditions different uh, cultural different i don't know just people that are very different from each other will kind of suddenly say oh this this place mm -hmm. has got something about it that's calling me back and um i guess this this is kind of idea of water and rebirth and you know maybe there's something about not just the springs here because it's not just of course the white and the red spring there's many well, mm -hmm. so many springs here and being surrounded by water, whether that's somehow mm. linking us to some ancestral connection with life coming from the waters. Yeah. It's an interesting, um, interesting. concept, isn't it? It's all many, many layered. I think that's um, all we've got time for now today, but um, really interesting chat. So thank you for Fabulous, Nick. Nice to be here and spend <laughs> time with you. 
and um, thanks everyone for listening. This has been a Glastonbury Abbey podcast. Glastonbury Abbey is an independent charity. You can support us by visiting the Abbey, becoming a member or donating via our website, glastonburyabbey.com.